This episode references the Indigenous heritage of a biological family and explores the added layer of cultural complexity this brings to an adoption process. In engaging in this conversation, I acknowledge the ongoing hurt and harm caused to First Nations Australians by the policies, laws and practices of Australian governments, state and federal, in relation to the forced removal of Indigenous children from their families. Hi and welcome to My Unknown Truth, a podcast that focuses on individuals and how they have navigated their unique adoption story. My name is Nadia Levitt. While going through my own adoption journey, I wanted to create a space for others to share their adoption journey too. Today you'll listen to Miguel's journey as an adoptive father. Born in South America, he then travelled to Australia where he and his wife settled and were ready to start a family. He talks about the comprehensive process of the adoption application, first meetings and visits, the transition period and key indicators in building attachment and developing a bond. He also shares how he had to relearn positive parenting strategies that weren't necessarily based on his own personal experiences. Hi Miguel, thank you for being here today to share your adoption experience. Can you tell me about your story when you and your wife adopted two children? All right. Um, thank you um, 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 for inviting me today um, to talk about my adoption experience. Yeah, it was a long uh, journey um, for a couple of uh, years, thinking, discussing with my wife, um, the whole, uh, what well, approaching a number of agencies with a bit of research. We, we had the issue of um, age as well. I mean, we were not very very young and at the end we were able to find based on my wife's previous connection uh, one agency and we have the conversation um, but because we were renting around that time we have to put the, the idea on hold for a couple of years until we bought our own place and then having that certainty we reapproached the agency and we started looking in terms of how the process I mean, my wife was kind of familiar. I made it, yeah, wanted to find out more. And yeah, we have a number of um, conversations. And then there was paperwork. And finally, we have two young um, kids. And the whole approval was very quick, very, very fast. So they moved with us in a matter of probably a month or a couple of weeks. They moved with us. And then, and since then, yeah, it has been quite rewarding overall, has been quite rewarding the, the, the experience, obviously, that include also the challenges and also the challenges in, in, in a more personal um, way in terms of learning, reading, talking to other applicants. The initial stay was fostering with the long-term plan of permanent um, adoption. So that was the name of the plan when we mm. when we joined the with other applicants as well. Okay. Can you tell me the requirements that you had to um, adhere to when applying to foster to adopt? So there was one of them that you had to ha- own your own home? Not explicitly, but um, also, I mean, we were planning to purchase a home anyway, but it provided some level of certainty. I mean, they asked you in terms of, Income, working, 
you're working full-time, part-time, casual basis. So that also is part of the assessments. There were health issues as well. So we have to go through the medical uh, checks. And then you have the interview, the personal interview, and they kind of really dig, you know, they ask a lot of questions, dig in terms of your motivation. Probably they observe you, you have like a checklist, how coherent you are, it's a mental health uh, issue. So yeah, involve a lot of yeah, paperwork, um, economic, financial status, health status, and, and the interview. I mean, there was a number of workers who came to our place for an interview. We are interviewed separately, together. And of course, I mean, there's a lot of bad stories in the media and they need to double check. Everything. You know, everything has to be checked and double checked. So how many applications, different types of applications are there? So I know that there's a foster to adopt application. Yep. Then there's a foster I'm assuming that's just or a foster lot. And also respites. Respite. Right. So yeah. how many are there? Are there four? four I don't two? really remember specifically. I remember the areas yeah. that we were assessed. But obviously with the adoption as a like long-term goal, yeah, there were questions in terms of asking you if you want to take up um, kids for a certain age or is there preference in terms of the agenda there were questions about wanting to have kids, you know, with disabilities, how comfortable you if the, the child has HIV positive. So there was a number of other th- questions that gave them your preferences. Mm, like a bit of like That's a parameter what, as to what That's right, you... how far you are willing yeah, you know, yeah. to take um, a kids um, or issues with behaviours and there was a long list of different behaviour that you are comfortable with or, or be able to cope with those behaviors as well so there was kind of very clear um, I think it was part of what are our preferences you know they wanted to have an image what are our preferences and once we submitted all the paperwork they do their own probably matching process and then they gave us a bit of background of the kids I mean we yeah we give us one you know this um, couple and we got it. So we didn't ask many questions. I mean, there was a bit of background. Obviously, the background was very limited as well. You know, through the adoption or the fostering process first, and when they move with us, yeah, we have a more clear picture mm. and see if the information was really accurate or not. And the two children, their siblings set? Yep. yep. And how old were they when you first met them? Um, one of them was nearly six, and the other was turning three the next the following year so it was like a two two years and ten months and we have two visits so we were um with another carer from what used to be called ducks docs and that during that time and been there nearly three years with that docs intake was the intake um carer um we took them for we went to a zoo or something with an activity and then they spent one night with us and so they had a chance to see the house and yeah there was like a two visits and one night overnight with they spending with us and then we move they move with us very quickly so i mean normally i guess it's a more longer period where you do the visits and 
you take them out, you know, I don't know, for taking to the park or, you know, building that relationship and spending time at your home. It takes more weeks, but because it was the end of the year and one of them had to start school very soon, yeah, it was very fast-tracking. So you know, for your yeah. experience, the that whole process got kind of condensed down that's into a right, yeah. shorter period just because that's right. they were starting school next because year and school, needed to. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we have okay. like a two visits and then one we took them, taking them home. They spent overnight with us. You know, like um, for them just to have a sense where they're going to be mm. living. So yeah, it was quite quick. You know that that, that process. And how did they transition into your home with you and your wife for the first, you know, three, three, four months? What was that like? Uh, look, it was, um, the, the transition was establishing new routines. I mean, schooling, you know, gave us a better, better structure. And so my wife stayed for a year at home because used all the loan service leave plus holidays. And then I start working part time from the other six months. But uh, yeah, the first six months we stayed together in order to build, you know, the attachment, the relationship. And how long did it take to build that attachment and get that bond? It's interesting because I'm thinking in terms of what indicators you can use. Probably when the little one start calling us mom and dad. So at the beginning they were telling my name, calling me by my name um, and also from my wife. But the moment the little ones started calling us mom and dad, it was probably an indication that is becoming, you know, that, that, that bond. Is, and what was that like? Uh, well, interesting, funny, weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Happiness. And the older one, because hearing his sister... You know, it's that um, kind of combining our names and mom and dad. He was late, you know, including that, that element. But the little one, yeah, because of the age, probably developed that, that attachment quicker. And also less memories as well. And the other is about calling home. They used to go, well, that is, you know, Miguel's home and then there was a switch it is our home or my home the, the house the building probably or, or the home is becoming part of them but for us also it was an issue of there were no visitors anymore so we were allowed to explore the house and open cupboards and look for stuff we don't have to chase them or, or follow them you know what are you looking for well what do you mean well it, it, at the beginning, because with my wife, we were living on the own for nearly 10 years. So at the beginning when they moved in, there was a process of considering them like a guest or visitors. So now they are our kids and, mm -hmm. and therefore we don't have to. I mean, also there was an issue of safety, you know, cover PowerPoints and handles and corners of things because she was still, yeah, she was walking and uh, the, the little one. But yeah, it was kind of careful with, you know, corners and furniture. We have to change some of the furniture. It was not really child-friendly. Yeah. So yeah. we were in that kind of helicoptering. <laughs> helicopter parents. Helicopter yeah. parents. And that yeah. thing was like a checking, where are you? What are you looking for? What do you need? Like a visitor. And the moment we start relaxing, okay, 
Now they know the home, they know the place. We know don't the rules. That's and the fine. Routine. The, the routine. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to um, helicopter them. That yeah. was kind of the, the 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 idea behind. How did you, you know, besides your own personal experience? Did you read books? Did you get some resources? Well, it was a challenge because the way I grew up in South America and how a childhood is very different. How you interact with your kids. I was coming from a model where they were not seen and we were not listened as a children. My parents didn't really listen much what I was saying oh, as a child. So yeah. I'm coming from a very authoritarian parenting model. You know, physical punishment was, you know, there on a constant basis so you don't reason with children with i mean my parents didn't really reason with me you know never was having good explanation you know why no have to do it because mom said yeah you know or yeah. dad said uh, otherwise well you are physically punished mm. there was no choices so forget about that so everything was regimented in terms of you know, the snack I want to eat, you know, the clothes I was wearing, the toy, was everything was done by my parents, was dictated by my parents. So compared to where we provide them a space for kids to make decisions, make choices, they choose the clothes they want to wear, the snack, it was completely... For me, I have to relearn. I mean, my wife was grew up here. She knows or grew up with that model of parenting, her parents were very different compared to my parents. Mm. So coming from this kind of very top-down parenting, for me it was trying to learn and tolerate sometimes, okay? Mm. They are little, it's a little person, you know, have the right to express their views or choose certain things. Coming from where everything was regimented, from the food I eat, you know, the toy I take, you know, for holiday or the clothes, I have, have no options to provide input from my side. I think that's very common as well, just that year, that particular era, like the 60s, 70s, even 80s, that sort of yeah, dictatorship or authoritarian, authoritarian, authoritarian approach yeah. to, yeah. Um, yeah, to their children. So, and not really showing that they even have a platform to speak their mind or, yeah, it's like what you said, it's like, do what I say yes. um, because I said so yep. without any other explanation other than do so that. So I have Otherwise, to relearn how I relate, you know, um, how do this this relational interaction. Do they get along? They have because of they are getting to puberty, you know, there's more arguing and also they are very clear different personalities as well. So that also creates sometimes frictions. I mean, it's you know, I have that constant friction with my brother yeah. because we have very different kind of personalities. But they've had to, I guess, um, have a really strong bond because of their experiences and the, the way they've been brought and up. And also the other thing, you start seeing adopting certain routines common to us as well. So they start looking in a number of aspects, looking like us as well because they, they, they're adopting and also they are, Becoming like a role models, I, I guess. You know, mm. There's a lot of like a um, modeling and copying behavior from from the parents as well. What sort of um, conversations come up, say, at the dinner table, or you know, it just sort of impromptu in terms of you know whether you guys 
look the same. I mean, some of the topics is because I raised the topic or I asked them. They asked us what to do or to face an issue with a friend or school issues. I probably am more kind of asking them questions. Mm. How old are they now? They're now is one is the older one is nearly 14 and the other is turning 11 next year. Just I'm trying to think about Simon. Or maybe there have been questions, but I haven't found them very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not pretending you know, I'm the expert on everything, but... Um, you're open. Sounds like um, that you're an open communicator. and uh, they, they haven't remember any question that I left a bit of like a thinking or or not able to to answer. I mean, remember when I was a child, yeah, I remember seeing my parents a bit shocked when you asked, you know, how babies are made or, mm. or from baby. I mean, they already know, you know, that stuff very well now. Um, I mean, there's more exposure to, you know, movies and videos and, you know, social media, they have a very, it's more, the challenge is helping them to navigate and filter that information and develop an opinion and what is healthy, what is unhealthy. So, yeah, I think it's more like I ask them questions, you know, how do you manage your life in five years? Mm. <laughs> things, things like that. And, and, and sometimes they say, oh, that you're already asking a question about the future. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they big question more about the, the they ask, you know, if they have, we have internet when I was a child. Well, there was nothing. There was not even computers yeah, when, yeah. They were, you know, when we were children. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes really struggle. It's like how you can live without internet. And say, so, well, we didn't have internet when I was yeah, a child. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, My kids want, you know, phones. And I just said, I didn't get a phone until I was 17. <laughs> and they just can't wrap their heads around it. They're yeah. like, so there was no iPads. And I said, no, that's that right. only just came out like. Yeah, <laughs> only 10 years ago, yeah, 2007 or something. But so I just want to get back to when you first got them and then you had that time off and then they you developed the bond. Mm-hmm. They started calling you dad and mum and calling it my home and that sort of thing. How long did you look after them for until that adoption finally went through in the court system? Oh, well, um, the, the the adoption took many years. So they moved in 2014 and we got the adoption last year. It was six years, you know, the, the, the whole legal process, you know, being finalized with the agency, the initial conversations, and also was around the time where this new reform gave them, um, gave them safe reforms. And it was any, um, they were planning that all adoption needs to be done within two, three years. So that was kind of the, the policy. But in our dealing with the, with the agency, yeah, it took much longer. So, so there is a policy out there that's two to three years. That's kind of that was kind of rem- that was do. yeah, that was the, the and also the boost the number of adoptions in Australia. So we don't yeah. have to go overseas to, but yeah. now overseas is changing as well because it's so many bad story that a lot of countries they are really tightening their criteria and also the 
the yeah paperwork and evidence and all of that. So it's getting more regulated. More um, regulated. That's right. I mean, in a lot of countries is regulated by government, except in the United States, where NGOs or Christian charities is more the, the more this private or semi-private sector is running. You know, the, the, those programs in the United States, but yeah, there's more tighter control now. And so, the policies there, but in practice. It's actually taking double the time. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, for, or for your experience, I mean, for us, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could be quite um, different for other families or yeah. other groups. I mean, we didn't really have been in contact with other people who were part of our induction and orientation at the beginning. I mean, we met a lot of people who were interested in adoption in the long term. They were more doing fostering, other they were interested in doing respite. But yeah, I didn't have any contact with them. To see, you know, how to kind of know what other ex- what other experience. experiences, so you can That's compare. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is why my experience is more compared to the policy. There's no more than two years. And I know that we've talked about what you think the challenges might have been with, with the process. With yeah. the process, yeah. but if you just wanted to share, I guess some, I guess some limiting factors that slow down the process of adopting your children? I guess is when our adoption process took place, there was a major reform and there was a lot of cases being moved from docs into the new NGOs. And then in the process, there were a lot of agencies probably didn't have the system in place in order to take up those cases and continue with the adoption process. So we have constant changing of workers or caseworkers, forgetting to include certain paperwork, be moved from one office into the other. We have, without having a proper centralized maybe filing system, so there was things they didn't find and, yeah, it was a bit kind of disorganized. And when... uh, our paperwork went to, with the agency, um, the lawyers returned all the paperwork because a lot of stuff we've not been done properly in terms of the reporting, in terms of the... So, yeah, and we have we have to <laughs> remind the case worker to take notes for any visits con- conducted. So yeah. how you can keep track of the paperwork if you're not taking notes. What yeah. happens if the lawyers ask for certain things but the paperwork has not been done? I mean, I, I did the visits... But, um, yeah, there was a lot of issues with the agency how to manage and do the transition from docs into the NGO sector, changing workers, missing paperwork, not keep good track of the paper trial. So there was a lot of that stuff um, happening, very frustrating. Um, at some point we have to give the legal advice or the support from the ombudsman and we have a caseworker following up with the agency that certain things needs to be checked mm. or any issue raised by the biological family needs to be investigated. Um, we have the issue of originality and that we have to put on hold the whole thing because other investigation needs to be conducted and maybe even they were suggesting create like a cultural plan or what our relationships with the Aboriginal community was um, it was there in case all the tracing 
um, discover they were Aboriginal members or backgrounds. So are they? No. They did their, their investigation. An Aboriginal agency did all the tracking, I don't know how they call it, genograms. Mm-hmm. They were investigating. Yeah, didn't find, find other backgrounds, Dutch, Scottish, but there was no things in terms of Aboriginality. And then the whole process resumed again. The views expressed by interviewees in this podcast are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by the Australian Adoption Podcast. We acknowledge different individuals, families, cultural and ethnic groups and NGOs will approach these sensitive issues from differing perspectives. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on My Unknown Truth. 